It's the 2nd of January, 2014, time to be thinking about the new year, but also for us, a chance to look back on what has occurred during 2013. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of January 2nd, 2014. Happy New Year. We Happy New you, Year. Yes, we hope that you had a fun celebration to ring in the new year and that you are, like us, looking forward to the possibilities in 2014. Um, as you were saying in your opening statement, it's important though to reflect on what we have, what we did last year, what happened to us last year. I started to say what we did, but a lot of things happened to us weather-wise, climate-wise. Exactly. Um, so we thought we would sort of look at uh, what was going on in terms of vegetable production, in terms of fruit and nut production, in terms of our forest, and just a little sort of a catch-all about community. Right, that's a good overview. Well, let's start with the vegetable garden. We completed our complement of raised beds in 2013. Everything's uh, that we're planting vegetable-wise, with with few exceptions like the asparagus. Asparagus, of course, um, which is in the ground and will not change unless we have a problem with it because we just don't want to uproot those vegetables, you know, those asparagus perennials once they're established. Uh, four of the 16 beds have um, hardware cloth underneath, which um, excludes voles, so that's good. And actually, there's a, there's a fifth one that actually we laid some hardware cloth out, but it's not attached, but it could be helping. And, and what we planted there is a perennial anyway, and so far, so good. Um, and we'll talk more about the impact that the the unprotected raised beds um, of that decision not to do that with them. Um, it was wet, wet, wet last year. Just and at, isn't it fitting that as we record this, uh, here's another shower coming here at Longleaf Breeze. Yeah. So. yeah, we've had, I don't know how much rain we got in the last few days. Did you check the gauge? Oh, but, about four, five inches. It was a lot, and, and we're continuing to get rain, and... Um, it's really not great right now, but, you know, we we're grateful it, for it. And there will come a time in the not too distant future when we will say, happen. oh, it's so dry. Yeah. Um, partly, I think, from too much moisture in the spring and uh, just uh, it was it was cooler than normal in the spring. The, the pl tomatoes that we planted in the spring were decimated. They were not very productive. The you know, fruit was often rotten. It just wasn't very good. Um, we did plant some tomatoes mid-July, mid uh, from which uh, we derived some tomatoes and actually finished our very last tomatoes from that. Did we decide that was New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve. Yeah. We so, had our last tomatoes. So we decided that we they were tiny, but they were good. So they were tasty. It, they yeah. kept that because they had been harvested green. They're, they they're not as tasty as a fresh vine ripened tomato. We we can tell the difference, but they're a lot better than you would buy in a store. Right. So. And we're in a few minutes. We're going to talk about why we ended up harvesting some of those uh, early. Well, we had the best sweet potato harvest we've ever had. That on the other end of the spectrum, that was good news. 
And and really, those were planted in one of those beds in which there was vole protection. So that's how they managed to survive. That's why we think they did so well. That and we trellised the foliage, and that seems to have made a difference. It allowed us to give them a place to grow and keep from clipping off all of that foliage that that tumbled out of the bed. Right. I, I think if you're going to plant sweet potatoes in a raised bed, you ought to be talking about trellising. Um, but back to an update, problems with our brassicas. We usually have had a very healthy fall vegetable crop. Um, yes, sometimes beset with insects at the beginning, but this year, some of the, well, it, it's almost, we almost did an experiment without intending to, because many of those brassicas were planted with no, um, Insect barrier. No, no protection, right? No insect barrier, um, even though they were planted in time. And some of those have just rotted They and, and have a lot of insect damage and continue to have that even when the... Because anytime the weather didn't stay below freezing, you know, they're still surviving out there. Um, but we had one bed that we planted with a combination of kale, broccoli, and rutabagas that was completely covered over until, what, about three days ago or four days ago. We finally That's removed right. the, the, uh, from the insect barrier. B- virtually from the day we planted it straight through until mm-hmm. three or four days ago, it has been under protection of this very thin um, insect barrier that lets in lots of sunshine. We think it lets in 90% of the sunshine, Yeah, I think that's I think. right, yeah. And, and so when we took it off, they were in great shape. They're almost perfect. Yeah, almost perfect. So... Really, we realized, okay, the thing to do, plus I mulched them before we put the insect barrier on. So I think we need to be more conscientious in the future about just planting them early on time, getting it mulched, and getting that insect barrier on there quickly and, and to, to, exclude the ins- to exclude the pests. And you probably already know this, but the reason we can use insect barrier on our brassicas is that they don't need any pollination. Yes, if you have something it, that needs pollination, it just doesn't. You're yeah. going to have to take it off when they start to bloom. So, um, But that's our, our lesson about fall veg for next year. Now, it's finally time to talk about those pests. We've had new some... New and interesting bugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason we didn't have more tomatoes in our second planting, the mid-July planting, uh, and the reason I pulled many of them, the fruits, while they were green, one, of course, is when the frost came, I pulled them. But um, Even before even that. Even before that, because we had a visit from tomato fruit worms. I had not had those before. We've never struggled with fruit worms And they worms get before. inside the tomato, and they turn rotten from the inside out. And I mean... It makes you understand, the, the odor of those things makes you understand why the practice of throwing rotten tomatoes at something you don't like <laughs> might be offensive to that, that thing you don't like because they're pretty smelly. So I started just as soon as I, they turned any size at all, I just pulled them and let them ripen on the counter because uh, before those... those you just assumed that if you left them out there any longer than that, they would soon be prey to the fruit worms. Yeah, yeah. Another new pest we had this year was um which is what has been devastating our brassicas um are cabbage worms they're just and the and the even after some cold snaps when i would have thought for sure we'd quit seeing them uh uh-uh. i brought in some broccoli the other day that 
had to kind of pick around it to get a And you had a lovely taste. looking head of cabbage that had cabbage worms down deep in yeah, the head. Yeah, had that. And then, um, but it was a big, very healthy looking cabbage worm that came off of it. So, and we've had some really cold temperatures below freezing on a... Oh, well below freezing, yeah. down around 25. Yeah. And it's not killing them. So... Um, that's a new one. But again, I think putting the insect barrier and excluding them to begin with would, would help. Um, I'm finding more and more eggs on the underside of leaves of the brassicas, so which is annoying. <laughs> Quick mention of kudzu bugs. Well, yes, that's another interesting pest that's, um, and we've talked about that in previous podcasts, but just to indicate that that's a new one that we had in 2013 that we hadn't had before. That was mostly on the pole beans. So ahead for this this next year, 2014, you're expecting that we will be using more insect barrier and probably earlier insect barrier. And also, uh, we didn't talk much about the the typical insects pests we've had, like squash bugs, etc. Um, but I'm thinking too that. Trap crops is something I'm going to look into a lot more okay. than I have. All right, so let's switch gears over to fruit and nut. We had uh, our first real year of production with the muscadines this year, and it was exciting to see them bearing fruit in such quantity and enjoying that fruit. Uh, this was not the first year we had any fruit, but it was the first year we had real production. They were good too. Nice they and were big delicious and plump and. And we had our first production out of any kind from the persimmons. These are Asian persimmons, and the fruit we're quickly uh, learning to love. <laughs> it's just, it's uh, slightly sweet, mild flavor that's um, not like anything else we have. Nice texture, beautiful um, display when you cut it crosswise you see this yeah. like a star in there it's beautiful it is it's gorgeous to look at and wonderful to eat so we're hoping that uh, we'll see more of the persimmons next year best year for pears um, but still pretty limited i would say maybe 25 30 pairs total would you yeah. guess we ate like the last of the pears just the other day they were they were good and they were looking pretty uh, disreputable well they don't it did not keep well for yeah. that long, but we I managed to eke some out. <laughs> it was good. That's right. Um, but, you know, here we are at the first of the year, and the pears are gone. And I don't, no matter how many we started with, we're pretty sure they would not have lasted beyond this date. Well, what we're hoping for the future is that we can have enough pears that we'll can some or freeze right. them or do something. Uh, the blueberries, as we've discussed before, uh, sharply limited by the fire we had last year. The fire yeah. I started last year. In fact, it's been almost a year now since that fire. <laughs> and we are encouraged by how quickly they have bounced back from that fire. Um, so it's possible we will see real production next year. Uh, and that really brings up the next question. What's going to be the breakout for next year. Uh, the blueberries are a possibility, the persimmons are a possibility, the pears are a possibility, so we'll sort of continue to watch that. Right. Um, and then 
course, we still have those pecan trees sitting out there. They're sitting out there, and I confessed to you just yesterday, I'm beginning to wonder whether I have taken the wrong approach with those pecans. Our plan all along has been to clear a strip all the way on the west and south of Veg Hill to plant those pecans, and the clearing is just going painfully slowly. And now I'm wondering whether I have taken the wrong tack and we may want to plant them over on what we call the green field, which is an, uh, an area of extremely fertile soil over on the other side of the property, does not now have water to it. That was the main reason I wanted to do them here. And of course, it's not nearly so close to where we live, and we're big believers in planting close to where you live. So we're we're scratching our heads about that, trying to figure out how we could manage it if we planted them over there. How would we get water to them? And when would we need to be uh, providing supplemental water? We do know from the experts that you just cannot overwater them once they're producing during the months of September and October. They just need lots and lots and lots and lots of water during September and October. Maybe it's during August and September, but they need a lot of water there as they're putting on fruit and setting fruit and filling out fruit. But we have a few years before we have to. But we're think years about that. away from their setting fruit. So I'm wondering, you know, could we plant them now knowing that, you know, within six or seven years, we're going to have to figure out a way to get water over there, but we do have six or seven years. To do right. it. So we're trying to figure that out. All right. Well, let's let's look at our forest. We are on 88 acres. The majority of that land by far is woods. So we're trying to do something to contribute and to maintain that as well. And one thing we've done, we're not called Longleaf Breeze for uh, just for the fun of it. We actually do have land that's hospitable toward longleaf pines. So we're continuing to plant longleaf seedlings every year, about 300. That's our goal. And we've plant, how many do you think we planted yesterday? About 20, 30? Yeah, something like 25, so 30. So we still have a lot more to do. <laughs> but we have those in possession, and we'll be, um, in the next few weeks, getting those in the ground. That's right. And we are in, you know once we get started, we're sort of in a rhythm. The only reason we didn't plant more yesterday is that it started raining. So <laughs> yeah. we had to retreat from the rain. Uh, but that continues. Okay, um, and just a little bit about our role in the community. Uh, we continue to be very active, perhaps some would say too active, uh, at Episcopal Church of the Epiphany, where I serve as the verger. That means I help with worship and planning and that sort of thing. And you serve on the vestry, which is the governing committee of the church, among other things. we I, I continue to maintain the church's website and you continue to be very involved in a lot of the Daughters of the King things. And then both of us um, enjoy our role working with Beans and Rice, which is our food ministry at the church. Then uh, on Master Gardener, both of us have been pretty busy with Master Gardener activities. Right, we did two Lunch and Learn presentations last year, uh, one in April on raised bed vegetable gardening and another one in August on... Um, fall vegetable gardening so uh, that kept us busy and I was secretary of the master gardener group in uh, central Alabama master gardeners for the past two years but I'm stepping down from that role and passing it on 
uh, to my good friend Rosemary. So congratulations, Rosemary. Um, and but I'm taking on another a new role, um, serving as a liaison with the uh, project of working with um, the governor's mansion in Montgomery. There's a an, it's a heritage garden that we're trying to. Uh, I guess reclaim and maintain, and I'll be a liaison with that between that group and our master gardener group, and also the but Montgomery Botanical Garden. Yes, right? hoping I'll be working with them too. Absolutely, I'm working already with that project, the Botanical Garden Montgomery Botanical Garden at Oak Park, and then hoping to again have a sort of a connection between that group and the Central Alabama Master Gardeners. Then you have continued to play your dulcimer with the Lochapoca Pickers. And that's going well. And the change for next year is that I'm at least going to dabble in uh, becoming active with the group by taking lessons on the auto harp. Right. So that'll be an adventure. Yes, I, we would love for you to dabble. And um, our daughter and announcer, Adrian, we hope will r remain um, affiliated with the group playing the ukulele. So it really may be a family affair. Can you think of anything else we need to mention about 2013 or looking forward to next well, year? I just last year we commented um, as 2012 drew to a close of some of the difficulties we'd had that affected our ability to deal with the the gardens. The main one being your injury to your shoulder. So I just like to express my thanks to the Lord for the healing that's taken place in your shoulder over the past year. We are grateful. I am able to do almost everything I need to do. Um, I still have a great deal of weakness in the arm and stiffness in my fingers, but I've been able to cope with that extremely well. And in so. the, uh, as recently as what, just a few weeks ago, you noticed an additional movement ability in your fingers so it's i can now move my little finger independent of my fourth finger that's news and, i've not and been able to do that doctors before. had told him that if it's not done by a year you're not gonna it may not get any better and he has continued to heal so that is something that we just think you're a medical miracle sitting there <laughs> well it, it doesn't it, there are many days when it doesn't feel like a miracle it feels like a real pain in the butt but um <laughs> It does continue to get a little, little, little bit better. So we think the progress will be slow, but it's continuing to happen. And um, and as far as our expectations for 2014, I think we've said them. It's it's uh, that whole farmer's prayer, um, dear Lord, I'll do better next year. <laughs> <laughs> I pray that every year. Um, and and I think even though it's kind of like taking two steps forward and one step backward, some things do go better the next year. And then, like new pests that we haven't had before, then something else wrong happens. So, uh, but that just happens with farming. I think that's you've got climate issues, you've got pests that you can't predict, and many of these, unfortunately, these pests are non-native species that are migrating from other parts of the world. So we do the best we can. And here's hoping that you have a wonderful and happy 2014. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. 
You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.